Welcome to the Reflections on Parkinson's Disease podcast. In this podcast, we hope to demystify Parkinson's disease, looking at everything from the basics to the cutting edge. Whether you are a healthcare professional, sufferer, carer, or family member looking to learn more, leading experts, Professor Baz Bloom and Professor Werner Poover will help uncomplicate the subject. Orwin presents Reflections on Parkinson's Disease podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first podcast in this new series, Reflections uh, on Parkinson's, that we will be doing together, Buzz Blom and myself. Um, today, we're going to discuss some issues around the most important drug treatment we have for Parkinson's, and this is levodopa. And uh, this podcast has been made possible through uh, support by Bial. Levodopa um, is one of the mainstays of, of treatment of Parkinson's. It's an old drug, um, been around for more than 50 years, and it's the gold standard of symptomatic efficacy uh, of any treatment, drug treatment we can offer to people with Parkinson's disease. Um, and although we, we know it so well, and although it's been used for so long and is the actual treatment for millions of people around the globe, there continue to be certain myths about it. Fact is, it's one of the best tolerated and most effective drugs, but there are a number of misconceptions. And one of them that strikes me when, when talking to, to patients every single time when I explain the different treatment options and how levodopa works, uh, many patients will come back and say, well, yes, but I've heard that this drug may work well in the beginning, but then it stops working. Buzz, this, this issue around levodopa losing effect over time, um, I'm sure you've heard it just as many times as I have. Um, what do you tell your patients? So some people even refer to the so-called honeymoon period as if there was a honeymoon period for levodopa's efficacy. And I think it is a misconception to think that levodopa loses its efficacy. In, in fact, theoretically, the dopamine deficiency only enlarges with disease progression, so it should become more efficacious. What we are seeing, of course, is that with disease progression, um, lesions outside the dopaminergic system start to become more and more important, uh, the non-dopaminergic lesions and symptoms such as posture instability, cognitive decline, autonomic dysfunction uh, may not be directly related to loss of dopamine and will therefore not improve with dopaminergic therapy. But the symptoms that are dopa sensitive, the slowness, the stiffness, much of the walking problems will remain uh, levodopa sensitive for many, many years. And it's an absolute misconception that uh, you should wait for as long as possible. In fact, you want to treat Parkinson's while it is still a treatable condition, which is more early on in the disease. I was actually impressed, Baz, by this recent paper that came out in Brain last year by our Italian colleagues, Roberto Ciglia and others who had the opportunity to study the levodopa response in patients with uh, Parkinson's in Africa that had been suffering from the disease for up to seven years before even being started on levodopa. 
And one of the, we'll come back in our series of podcasts. I'm sure we'll come back to this paper and because it's been so interesting in terms of many issues around levodopa. But one thing that came out is that levodopa, if anything, if anything, over time that these patients were followed, it even enhanced in terms of efficacy. The effect size even became bigger. And of course, we know this from, from experience. Uh, the more severe symptoms get over time, the bigger the amplitude, the bigger the, the net gain, the benefit that patients have from the drug. So it's really, really not true that levodopa does lose efficacy. And I, I do tell my patients with full confidence, levodopa never stops working. Unfortunately, the disease also doesn't stop, as you pointed out. But levodopa never stops working. Absolutely. And I... It was actually the second out of a series of papers in brain by Roberto Celia. They, they showed in an earlier paper, also in brain, that people in Africa, of course, due to lack of access to medication, postponed their drugs for a long period of time. And when they compared these African patients to Italian patients who were treated much earlier, the severity, the magnitude, and the impact of the response fluctuations that we all fear so much was comparable in both groups. It means that postponing medication doesn't improve your future in terms of response fluctuations. Mm. But of course, you lose on the quality of life yep. if you don't start early. That's it. That's it. And that's what, what exactly, exactly that, what I also tend to tell my patients. Uh, there is no reward for postponing levodopa exactly. beyond the point in time where it would be needed. There's no question that symptoms can be mild, very, very mild in the beginning. There are other options to maybe start with, but in the end, as soon as symptoms become bothersome, people should receive subjects with Parkinson's should be offered levodopa and they have no reward from postponing it. But there's another worry, Bas, and I, I read recently with interest a paper by yourself or your own group that came out in the Movement Disorder Journal. And um, among other things, um, dealt with the with this other myth about levodopa that it, it may be it may be a fantastic drug. It may improve symptoms greatly, but it may do harm in the long run. It may actually, there have been worries, it, it could actually accelerate the disease. And that's something that patients still are worried about, although we've debated it so much in our congresses and meetings and publications. And uh, I was intrigued by your, your recent study that used the large database of the Parkinson Progression Mark Initiative that the Michael J. Fox Foundation has initiated. Maybe you would like to share with, with us a little bit about this. Yeah. So that paper in movement disorders was actually a replication of the earlier LEAP trial. And I should probably briefly discuss both. The, the LEAP trial was a delayed start levodopa study. Uh, led by the Amsterdam Medical Center, and all credits to Rob de Bee and his team for leading that effort. Um, what they basically did is randomize people with early-stage Parkinson's who were not in dire need of levodopa to either placebo or levodopa, wait for nine months, and then the placebo group got levodopa, and the levodopa group got placebo, and they waited for another nine months. So now, after 18 months, they both had the benefit of levodopa, but the early group had had it for 18 months. So if levodopa had been toxic, then the early starters should be worse. And in fact, the two groups were identical. There was neither an, uh, an evidence that levodopa was protective. And there was even arguments to think that it could be protective, but it wasn't. Um, and of course, 18 months is too short to look at response fluctuations. 
but the quality of life in the early starters was much better. Disability was much less in the early starters. And the paper in movement disorders that you refer to was a replication of that because we looked at the PPMI data set, hundreds and hundreds of patients, how they were treated in real life. And there are some physicians who like to start early and there are physicians who like to start late. So in many ways, people are randomized by the physician that you tend to have. And we looked at early starters versus late starters in real life and basically replicated the LEAP trial and showing that there was no difference between early and late starters. So any concerns about toxicity have been alleviated by both these studies. Yeah, I think that's very important for for all physicians, but also, of course, patients to know and reassuring. And um, I vividly remember how we were all amazed when many years ago, Stanley Fahn from New York and others, they had initiated this LDOPA trial where they used what we call washout designs, i.e. they treated patients with placebo and different doses of levodopa. Um, and then, of course, patients on levodopa did much better. The bigger the dose, the better they did. But then they were what we call washed out from the drug. They discontinued for a couple of weeks, three weeks. Uh, and after washout, the idea was if levodopa was harmful, those that had been exposed to it after washing the drug out should be worse. And the opposite was the case. They were much better. And that, of course, has been debated. What does it mean? And this is a nice topic we might go into, Bas, in one of the following podcasts, uh, the so-called long-duration response of yep. levodopa. But, um, you know, there's a mo another myth that kind of, kind of uh, strikes me and, and, and keeps following all of us, I think, and this, uh, this is about levodopa being an effective drug, surely in terms of making people back, bringing people back to mobility, um, helping with rigidity and stiffness, but tremor. Tremor would respond less to levodopa. Uh, that's something that, that pops up even in textbooks, that tremor would be the least responsive to levodopa. Personally, I think it's a myth as well. I think it's myth number three we're talking about here uh, because levodopa is strikingly effective on tremor. But I, I wonder, there, there are some facets to this and I'd, um, I'd, I'd like to hear your views. Yes, we, um, our group, um, and in this case, credits to Rick Helmich, um, who is leading our tremor group, has published some very interesting work, a recent paper in neurology. And... Um, what Rick has done is given standardized high doses of levodopa to people with tremor, and the overwhelming majority is responsive to levodopa. And levodopa is and remains the best drugs to treat tremor. Um, he did identify an intermediate group, and there was a small group, but that's a small group of people in whom the tremor seems to be levodopa resistant. But that's a small group. I think for the large majority of people with a tremor, it is levodopa responsive. What people should know is that sometimes with a low dose of levodopa, the rigidity can respond earlier, so the limb becomes more flaccid, and the tremor amplitude worsens. So people now think, oh, levodopa is worsening my tremor, but in fact, it just had a beneficial effect on rigidity, and the effect on tremor will come with a slightly higher dose. So do not be deterred by this worsening in the early phase. And the other thing I just quickly wanted to mention is that because there is a small group of people with a levodopa-resistant tremor, 
those people can be candidates for deep brain stimulation. We only select people for DBS if they are still dopa responsive. The only exception is this small group of people with a levodopa resistant tremor. True. And I think what is important um, for all of us to remember before declaring resistance to a drug, and that's not true for Parkinson's disease alone, uh, one should have tried the drug for a sufficient amount of time yeah. at a sufficient dose. Um, and while the work your team has done on levodopa-resistant tremor forms that do exist, although they're rare, um, there's also pseudo-resistant because doctors haven't gone up high enough in clinical practice. Um, and if uh, I may ask, uh, Werner, yeah. because you're, you're the, the world's expert, um, and to make this pragmatic for the listeners today, what, what is a sufficient dose and what is long enough? Yeah, I think long enough is at least two to three months. Mm -hmm. And I think as high as patients will tolerate. So I, if, if I'm convinced I have a typical patient with, Parkin with Parkinson's disease in front of me, not someone who's borderline, maybe it's an atypical disorder, maybe it's something else. So I'm sure this is Parkinson's. And I'm not happy with the levodopa response. And the patient is not happy. I go up and up and up and I don't, I, I'll never forget. So I usually go up at least to 800 or 1,000 milligrams even if that's tolerated. But the, the, the most telling episode in my professional life was a young patient, early onset, professionally highly active, age 45 or 46, I can't remember, who had been to several doctors, never responded to levodopa. And everything looked right, and he should have responded. And I went up and up. He came on a moderate dose of, of I think, 400 milligrams. I went up to 600, nothing happened. I went up to 800, nothing happened. I went up to 1,000, nothing happened. I was about to give up. And then we tried 1,200. And it was a transformation. I don't know why that man needed that bigger dose, but he was free of symptoms. I'm just saying this, this would not be my rule. This would not be the usual thing I do. But it makes the point that you that you just mentioned, one has to um, go as as high as needed and, of course, as tolerated. Yeah. I'd love to go on, Buzz, but I think we've exploited the time limits we've set ourselves for for the for these podcasts. They should be they, they should be little bites that one can digest, um, and so we we need to stop here. And if you don't mind, Buzz, in on behalf of yourself and myself, I should like to thank everyone. For listening in and also of course thank uh, Bial again for having supported this particular one and I do, really do hope all of you will, will come back and listen to the next one We hope you enjoyed today's podcast and look forward to seeing you next time Don't forget to stay up to date with all the latest discussions and help spread awareness Follow and subscribe You can find us on your favourite podcast platform and Arwen.com.